This is a Yokogawa Australia and New Zealand podcast. Welcome back to Yokogawa Debunks, conversations with industry experts to uncover the truth behind myths and misconceptions surrounding the industrial automation and industrial instrumentation space. I'm your host, Sean Carhill, and thank you for joining us today. In our last episode, we addressed the much requested topic of calibrate or validate, which one is better. Now, this was done with Nick Crow from Yokogawa. And although we managed to deal with many of the misconceptions around this interesting topic, it was apparent that there were many more misconceptions which also needed clearing up. As such, we're delighted to welcome Nick back to delve further into this subject. Welcome back, Nick. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'm glad to be here and yeah, we'll continue this conversation. It's uh, getting deeper and deeper. We'll see how far we get today. That's great. So look, let's let's delve straight in with uh, with another common misconception that we've uh, that we've been hearing, and this one relates to the safe use of buffers and solutions when calibrating or validating analyzers. Now, there's some people I think that buffers and solutions are not that safe, and and that there's a risk they could lead to health issues for technicians. Have you really come across this one in the past? Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah, I, I first came across it, uh, I think, uh, many years ago when I, I worked as a a service technician on on process analyzers, and it's understandable, really. Many analyzers use chemicals or, or reagents and things like this, often in the internal solution that's inside a sensor or something like that. And if it's not handled correctly, it does pose a risk to the person that's that's using them. So really, they should only be used by a technician who's had training and he's going to understand the appropriate risks and hazards involved with the chemicals that he's using. The buffers and the standards, however, for you know everyday use in validating and calibrating, they're not kept to the internals of the of the analyzer. So it never seems right when you think about using chemicals on instruments that are likely to be in contact with uh, you know, maybe drinking water or in food production processes, for example. Uh, and of course, analyzers will also get used in environmental applications and things like that. So there's concern from some people. Uh, that perhaps the calibration chemicals might get into the surrounding environment. But when I think about it carefully, I think really the fear comes from the raw materials that's used in the preparation of these buffers and things like that. Once they go into the buffers uh, and they're prepared, the raw materials change their properties and they're really diluted to very safe levels. So there shouldn't really be any concern about it. And you know the manufacturers of the chemicals are well aware of the, the kinds of applications the analysers get used in and make sure that they're safe for use. Each one really should have its own product information sheet and, and have details about the correct usage and disposal instructions too. So um, you know, people do get very frightened when they think about chemicals uh, and you know, what's this going to do to me? What long-term effect is it going to have on me? But um, yeah, they're made to be as safe as possible and, and yeah, shouldn't really be too much concern there. Okay, so it, it does look like they come with safety data sheets or SDSs, which, if read, should take away health risk concerns. But even so, a concern that we've seen come up from time to time relates to formazin solution, which is used in turbidity calibrations. Now, there's some out there who say it's carcinogenic. Uh, would you say that there's any truth in this, or is it just another one of those popular myths? Uh, I think you used an appropriate term there, Sean. It's popular. Yeah, and I, I've come across this one 
uh, quite a few times over the years, you know, and, and recently too, you know. Turbidity is a subject and, and obviously with an analyzer, it has to be calibrated. Uh, and often, you know, they're used as, as final product quality check instruments. So you have to prove the, the, the calibration, the accuracy of the instrument. So, um, but turbidity calibration is quite difficult. Uh, and the reason is that the standard solution that you're going to use is required uh, to hold particles in suspension. And it's that bit that's really hard to achieve because particles naturally want to settle to the bottom of a liquid. So formazine was developed and it's capable of holding those particles in, dis- in suspension. But there is an element in that mixture of formazine which I think is the bit that frightens most people and that's formaldehyde. So formaldehyde is a chemical that we want to avoid. I don't think uh, we hear anything but bad things about it. However, like other buffers and things like that, when it's used in formazine, it's in such low concentrations that there's really very little risk indeed. The worst risk is perhaps to the technician who's preparing the, the raw formazine solution uh, ready for its calibration, and the result would likely to be you know, maybe limited to a little bit of skin, skin irritation or maybe you know, eye irritation if they were unfortunate enough to get a splash in their eye or something like that. Having said that, you know, we've said before, these chemicals should be used by trained technicians. And the same applies here with, with formazine and turbidity. The procedure should really be performed by a trained tech and he's going to be wearing um, appropriate PPE uh, and ensure their own safety. When we do the calibration of turbidity, the formazine is diluted even further in its preparation and it's going to be even less of a safety risk uh, and it should also be disposed of safely after the service. However, this does open up another uh, window for us here to to look into, I suppose, and that's um, while we're on our subject of calibration versus validation. What should I be using? Should I be using a primary standard or a secondary standard? Okay, Nick, so what's the difference between primary standard and secondary standard? Well, a primary standard is a solution, and it's made up of primary standard substances. It has a known purity, which should be 99% pure or 99.9% pure. It is possible to dilute this in a solvent to create your primary standard solution to a value that you desire. A secondary standard, on the other hand, is a solution which has been made by comparing it to the primary standard. Okay, so, well, as before, why and when should each of these be used, and and what's the relevance to turbidity? Well, I raised this in the turbidity discussion because these analyzers are are great examples uh, of a device that uses both types of standards throughout their life. To keep a turbidimeter up to spec requires periodic primary calibration. That is done by using the formazine solution that we spoke about before. But between the primary calibrations, it's okay to use the secondary standard to validate or even calibrate the analyzer with the secondary standards. Most turbidity manufacturers will usually have a secondary standard of some uh, kind that's um, included with their analyzer, or perhaps they have one available that you can purchase. But it is necessary to assign the secondary standard its value. And this is done by measuring it in the analyzer that's just been calibrated with the primary standard. So there, you can see there that a secondary standard is only a comparative standard to the primary standard. So so why is it then necessary to perform periodic calibrations with a primary standard, and and how often should it be done? Well, I guess um, the, the reason for the primary calibration being done periodically is simply due to the fact that the quality of the secondary 
calibration or standard can't be guaranteed for very long. The secondary standard is usually, particularly in turbidimeters, it's usually a solid piece of something. So it might be a prism or a, a piece of glass or something like that. But throughout the time when you're using it, it's likely to get minor damages. Each time it gets a, a bumped against the edge or, or wiped clean or something like that, you're changing its value very, very slightly. So we have to perform the primary calibration periodically and reassign a value to that secondary standard. And what it does, it helps improve the long-term accuracy. So the frequency of the primary calibration, that can change depending on the region you're working in and what the local governing body uh, determines is necessary. So some regions might ask you to uh, do a primary calibration annually. Others might ask for it to be done quarterly. Uh, And some businesses or industries will have different routines from that again. So turbidity, its most common application, it's a key indicator of water quality. Uh, And although it gets used in all sorts of other industries, the production of drinking water is most likely to be the most common. So it's really important to ensure they are accurate because we're all going to be consuming that, that produced water at the end of the day. Previously, Nick, we spoke about how to calibrate gas analyzers. Are there gas analyzers that require primary and secondary standard calibrations, the same as liquid analyzers, for example? Well, yes, there there is a similar theory here. We've spoken before about how it's not always practical to take your gas analyzer out of the process to perform a calibration. But performing the calibration can also be difficult. Unlike a, a, a liquid analyzer, you can't simply place the gas sensor into a beaker of standard. It requires some kind of calibration cell where you can be sure that the only gas present is the gas of the known standard. So some gas analyzers are likely to be used for emissions monitoring and others might be used for process control. The calibration and validation of each of these is likely to have different requirements uh, and therefore they're going to use different methods. An emissions analyzer is most likely going to be required to prove its accuracy regularly. Therefore, a primary calibration is most likely to be required for that. Uh, particularly now in a recent time, industry is likely to be paying a fine if their emissions reporting are not accurate. Uh, so they're going to want to be doing a primary calibration and prove the instrument is correct. A process control analyzer, on the other hand, is likely to be able to get away with just a validation. And then you can move to the calibration if something's found to be incorrect, as, as we discussed before. So yeah, it, it's very similar theory between primary and secondary standards and calibration and validation. Uh, as well for gas analysers. Well, thanks, Nick. I mean, these have been great insights. And I think we've well and truly dealt with the list of misconceptions around calibration or validation that our listeners posed. To that end, I'd like to thank you once again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, to talk to us today. Uh, thanks for having me. We we'll look forward to um, chatting with you again in the future. And uh, yeah, I hope um, our topic of today is of interest to some people. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us once again. If you've got any questions or particular topics you'd like us to discuss, please contact us on debunks at au.yokogawa.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to like and share on your social media channels. Now, we look forward to welcoming you back for future discussions. But in the meantime, stay safe and remember, Yokogawa debunks.